From Studio 113, this is the Changing Energy Podcast, recorded at Wake Electric. Good day. How's everybody feeling today? Great. Awesome. Amazing. Hey, Sean. Hey. How are you doing today? <laughs> I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Love it. Well, good. Welcome to episode five oh, of the Changing Energy Podcast. We're excited <laughs> that we have, a, we have a really different show planned for you today because we had an event at Wake Electric that highlighted electric vehicles and solar panel users. Yeah. And uh, Our members, we yeah. talked to a bunch of members about what their experiences are, and we can't wait to share that with you. So our main topic of the day will be just listening to users of electric vehicles and solar panels and getting their perspectives on it. So super excited to share that with you. Kurt, major development happened between, yes. the, between the last dun, dun, two podcasts, uh, and yes. I'm going to just hand mm. it over to you to kind of tell us about your Woo. emotional experience that you had. It, it was scary. <laughs> it was scary. Uh, we received our first gift, and it, it was a little scary, to be honest with you. Um, received it the other day. I came into my office and uh, cut my light on, and there was a box on my chair. And I noticed this box had like, I don't know, 10 or 12 stickers on it. And the first sticker I saw on the side of it was caution, high radiation area. I'm (laughs) like, what is going on? And then on the top of the box, it says danger, restricted access, excuse me, magnetic field, hazard area. And I'm like, what in the world? Is it, it just sitting on? Does, sitting is there a on name? Desk. Is there a That's name the on thing. it? It doesn't say who it's to, or who it's from. And I'm like, no, I'm, I'm I'm freaking out a little bit because there's some, uh, and we can go over a few of the the, it's like the Greek, labels, Greek like yeah. lettering <laughs> there's up there. Some Russian. There's some Chinese, and I just keep seeing like caution, you know, high radiation hazard. And I'm like, man, what in the world? I'm like, did, did somebody send us something? You know, I'm just really panicking. So I pick up the box. And I move it over to a table I have in my office, and I just sit it there, and I'm like, it's "Oh like my you god, you need a hazmat suit or yeah, something." Yeah, you know, I was yeah, like, how did, got, "How did it get delivered there in the first place?" If you, so I know, I was like, "Touch it." I didn't open it. I was like, you know, panicking or whatever. I'm like, "What in the world is this?" So then, you know, Don he comes in, and I was telling him about it and showing him the box, and he's like, "Okay, Kirk, hold on, just just take a step back. Did you not see?" The label above caution high radiation area. And I said, no, what does it say? It, well, it was a danger sticker. That's yeah. the first thing that stands out is danger. It's, it's danger, and it has the chemical label, you know, yes. sign that uh, we'll go over. Blue is four, red is four, three is yellow, and then the poison skull. And then beneath it, Don said, <laughs> farts, stay clear. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my gosh, somebody's playing a joke on me. <laughs> I was like, Lord, have mercy. I was like, so let's open it up. We open it up. And we have this awesome plasma sphere Tesla coil that is now part of Studio 113. So really, it's kind of our lightning in a box. It's our first decoration. Yes. <laughs> and, it, and believe me, our office needed it. It. Uh, it we're, we're looking at it right now. We're all putting our fingers yeah, on it, we're, Sean. We're, okay. we're touching it. So... Uh, we are playing with the Tesla coil. Yeah. It, it Making the lightning go from the plasma ball... To our fingertips. Yeah. Uh, but all seriousness, when I saw that box, it didn't have to and from. And the first thing you see is yellow and red. It says high radiation area, magnetic field, you know, and I'm like, 
what is going on? So, I mean, I really was sweating, you know, over there for a minute. Well, like, that danger sticker is pretty uh, substantial because if anybody knows these chemical stickers that tell you how how much of a fire hazard a chemical is, it is listed as a fire hazard of four, which means it will ignite at 73 degrees. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and it's got a oh health hazard uh, label as four, which is deadly. And then... The instability says that shock and heat may detonate the box. And then, of course, it says farts stay clear. <laughs> so we apologize for the sensitive ears on our podcast. Yeah. We're not going to bleep that. Uh, we think that, that people can maybe handle that that word as, uh, as we and, explain that. And big red letters <laughs> diagonal on the cardboard box that says fragile. fragile. So, you know, I'm like, what in the world? It's only but you know. There is one other sticker that probably gave it away. What is uh, to your right there? There you go. Uh, spitting is unlawful, unsanitary, unhealthy, and dangerous. It will not be tolerated. <laughs> <laughs> so no spitting on the mic. So, yeah, so, so thankful that uh, Don. Pr- that is a real sign somewhere yeah <laughs> and i want to know what makes it dangerous yeah. because back in the day didn't you couldn't spit i mean you'd get a ticket <laughs> wait seriously i'm not kidding look it up i'm pretty sure that back in the day somebody looked that up i don't if, know if you uh if you spit you know on the sidewalk or or something like that walking in the city you would get a ticket it was you know well it was against the law we have so, a uh we have a lightning ball yeah now it uh yeah it's a plasma ball which is a miniature you know, Tesla coil, and uh, inside the ball is a coil of wires, you know, that obviously has electrons, you know, going through oscillating, you know, at a very high frequency. Uh, I did find out who sent this to us anonymously, Um, so, uh, but it was a listener, so we are thrilled that a listener uh, thought that much to create a box that had lightning in it. Yeah, hey, we love gifts. I mean, yeah, and it, 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 uh, so when I was talking about, you know, lightning in a box, if we could capture it, you know, hey, I appreciate this. This is cool. And speaking of lightning ball, Sean, I, uh, I, I printed out a Encyclopedia Britannica article <laughs> on lightning balls. <laughs> on, uh, I think it's called ball lightning. Oh, ball lightning. Ball lightning. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, definitely a difference. Uh, but ball lightning, also c- called globe lightning, is a rare aerial phenomenon in the form of a luminous sphere that is generally several centimeters in diameter. It usually occurs near the ground during thunderstorms in close association with cloud-to-ground lightning. Hmm. It may be red, orange, yellow, white, or blue in color. Wow. And is often accompanied <laughs> by a hiss- hissing sound and distinct odor. What? What? What does it smell like? That was what was in yeah. the box. Because <laughs> I was going to say, maybe they need that sticker. Yeah, the part stay clear makes a little bit more sense now. <laughs> so this is so lightning balls is supposedly a real but rare phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Just off the ground, a floating lightning ball. Man, so all of the different like That's ghosts and spirits that people see, it might just be, be ball, a lightning. Ball. Ball, ball lightning ball, ball lightning, ball lightning. Ball lightning. Ball lightning. Like I want to know if any <laughs> listener has ever seen ball lightning. Yes, <laughs> please, please, please let it. us know. We please email, to... call. <laughs> hey, if you can get a picture, that'd be better. <laughs> Send it oh, in man. through our email. <laughs> all right, it is now time for one of my dad jokes. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> what is an electrician's Favorite flavor of ice cream? Um, Here goes one of Kirk guesses again. 
Oh, gosh, yeah. An electrician's. Mm. It is Chocolat. Chocolat. <laughs> oh, wait. I forgot this. <laughs> Chocolat. I was thinking of like the sparkler, like Star Spangled Banner, sparkler, popsicle. I was thinking 120 like flavors or something of ice cream. <laughs> okay. Um, when I was young, I was afraid of the dark. Now when I see my electric bill, I'm afraid of the light. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I like that one. That was good. <laughs> Turn it off. Oh, that was good. Okay, those are our bad <laughs> jokes of the day. Oh, we actually uh, are going to go into a quick and different news segment. And now, the news. Okay, so one of the things that we've typically done is just try to grab a news article. But it, our CEO passed us a website, and it was the new Ford.com website where they started talking about the charging station required for a Ford F-150 Lightning. Seems to be a um, reoccurring thing in the past couple of episodes. A lot of people yes. like to talk about the electric vehicle. Two episodes ago, we went through the comparison of a Ford F-150 versus a Ford F-150 Lightning. Lots of benefits to that, of course. Also, very delayed delivery. So we're waiting for a lot yeah. of these. And it's going to take, uh, if you ordered one today, it's likely going to be 2024 at a minimum before you could actually get one because oh, wow. of the demand and the uh, pre-orders. But what I want to focus on today is the Ford Charge Station Pro. This is the mechanism that they say uh, is required for a certain feature that they are really highlighting on their website. And two episodes ago, I said that vehicle-to-grid technology was still being developed. It's possible, but mm-hmm. you really don't hear a lot about it. Yeah. Well, Ford has just changed that because that is what they're talking about. They are saying right here on, on their website that the Ford... F-150 will automatically, if your house ever loses power, the Ford F-150 Lightning will automatically start powering your home. Wow. That's unreal, isn't it? Now, it does have some requirements for that. So I've taken some um, notes here, and some of the requirements are that you have a transfer switch. Uh And so I figured I would go into... A little bit about uh, the transfer switch, what that is. Any, a transfer switch in generic terms is just a device that, that helps you transfer load from a generator to another generator okay. or, a, or from the grid to a generator, generator. Um, safely. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the most important things about making that transfer is that uh, the frequency in the the frequency has to match up 60 hertz frequency for a power and it has to be in phase to come on you can't make a closed transition if it's out of phase it will it will cause problems so uh, I wanted to uh, just talk a little bit about transfer switch it allows safe transfer from different resources from generator to generator or from grid to generator and also think um, solar panels generators like when a solar panel is working during the day it's usually dc to an to a a inverter powering your house sun goes down they need the generator pick up so you need to transfer that load back and forth but more importantly a lot of times it is to disconnect the load from the grid 
So power goes out, and a home has a whole home generator. And what you want to do is turn on the generator, obviously, to charge your home. But you don't want to put power back on the grid because utility workers are out there trying to work safely without the threat of, of... load on the on the wires while they're trying to fix it so a an effective transfer switch will disconnect the load from the grid while the generator is up there um there are two types of of transition there's a manual transfer switch that means your power goes out it stays out until you go out there and you pull the lever and you make the transfer um or Hmm. way more sophisticated is an automatic transfer switch that says as soon as it senses that there's no power disconnects the home from the grid and turns on the generator automatically. Now, typically most homes are going to see an outage, right? It's going to take, it's going to, and these are all programmable. So the homeowners are going to program how much delay they want to put in there Mm -hmm. before the the generator comes on. Obviously you want to try as as little as possible and do it safely. But this Ford F-150 requires a automatic transfer switch um, for this power. Special device, yes. Yeah. So and so, what it's supposed to do, and and you read a little bit about this, Kirk, is it will transfer when it transfers, uh-huh. it can power a house. Yep, for three days. But the the average kilowatt hour is uh, thirty. It would be thirty kilowatt hour um, for about three days. And our members, the average um, usage kilowatt hour is thirty eight. Okay. Yeah. So so. so it, it will pr- fairly up, close, yeah, up to three days. Yeah. Now we've also mentioned that if this happens, you are draining your vehicle of power at the same right. time. Exactly. So, right. So you know it will power your house, and this is uh this is pretty big. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm for that, and so we expect this to to get a lot of 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 interest, uh-huh. and we're just going to have to wait and see how this works. Now, there's a couple other requirements for a home. You have to have a special charger. Yes, and they I think do. The re- amp would be a little different. Yes, uh, so it requires a Ford Charge Station Pro, and it requires an eighty amp yep. circuit. Now, if you think about it, most homes have a two hundred amp meter base in circuit panel. So, just this circuit for this charging station, and this is going to be eighty amps. So, we're going to see if uh, you know if this causes people to have to do a lot of rewiring of their homes to support that. Actually, if you dig right. down into it, they say a 100-amp circuit is, mm-hmm. is suggested and yeah. recommended. Oh, <laughs> and if you have that 80-amp circuit, then you are going to be able to charge your vehicle pretty much full in eight hours. Okay? Right. okay. Now, we also wonder how many people need it full every day. Usually, you know, it's going to be right. half or a quarter. It's gonna You're going to have somewhere in between that. Here is one of the biggest sticklers when it comes to how the utilities are going to look at this vehicle the kw demand which is what we use uh, the difference between demand and usage demand is how much you need at any moment in time yes okay usage is how much you use over a length of time so that's the difference between kw kilowatts and kilowatt hours for example quick math if you have a 10 watt led light that's on for an hour, you know, you are using 0.1 kilowatts of power. And if you use it for an hour, you use 0.01 kilowatt hours. Mm, But anyway, so at 19 kW, 
which is what they're saying the Ford F-150 will charge at. So 19 kW. If you charge at 19 kW for eight hours on Wake Electric's rate, it's about $16 a night. But still, if you think about what an F-150 costs, if you had to fill it up with gas every day, filling up a Ford F-150 at night for eight hours every night, it's going to be about $16 a fill up when they do that. The problem is 19 kW. I, I wrote down some general household appliances and what those usages were. All right. So an electric oven. So I just told you charge at 19 kW for an F-150 Lightning. What do you think an electric oven just generally uses when it's baking? About what, six? I was going to say five. 2.3. Oh. 2.3. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if you're do- using the self-cleaning feature, it can get up to seven. Okay, so Uh somewhere between two point three and seven for your electric oven, and you're going to bake for you're going to bake for you know thirty to minutes to an hour. Yeah, Yeah. an Energy Star laundry uh, washer and dryer. What do you think that uses? If they're both on, they're both on. I'm gonna say eight, one point nine. Wow! Wow! So (laughs) central air condition a central air condition unit uses about three kW. Wow! And iron. You always, that's one of those appliances you plug in and you see the lights dim sometimes when you plug in your iron or your blow dryer. Yeah. And iron is, is one KW. A hair dryer is one and a half KW. Wow, one and a half. Yes. Makes you blink your lights. Dang. Yeah. I need to get a different blow dryer. The largest appliance that I could find that is typical in a house. Dishwasher? Refrigerator. No, refrigerator is pretty low. <laughs> in fact, I wrote down that a new refrigerator, a television, computer, electronics, Almost negligible, like very little. We we did the phone right. Remember we saw the phone yeah, yeah, was like yeah. nothing to charge. Yeah, um, new televisions that are LED and they they just uh-huh. they're very efficient. A tankless water heater, tankless water heater. So that's you know that heats the water up instantaneously. Yeah. Is a nine to twelve kW. Wow, but it's really quick. Yeah, it's yeah. like seconds uh-huh. that it's on. Uh-huh. A Ford F-150 Lightning is 19 kW for eight hours. God. Okay. So I also asked uh, our engineer, a distribution voltage, a primary distribution voltage is 12.47 kV, mm-hmm. 12,000 volts. We drop that load down with a transformer so that we can get deliver 240 volts or, or 120 volts to the house. That transformer is based on capacity. Our typical rule of thumb, based on all the appliances mm-hmm. I mentioned there before, is 15 kW. Essentially, 15 kW. It's KVA, KVA but yeah, uh, right. but it's 50, but it's essentially K, um, kW. So we size the home for 15 kW. So if we put two homes on there, we'll sometimes get away with 25 kVA because that's a standard. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We have 15, 25, and 50. When we get to 50, we're starting to put multiple homes on that. When so this have, is going to change it. When you have multiple <laughs> yeah. homes, when you have multiple homes, you can count on the diversity of load. That, uh-huh. that They're not ironing at the same time. And they're, <laughs> right. they're you know, everything is working at different times, so you, can, you, you don't have to assume the worst case scenario. But if all five homes decide to get a Ford F-150 and they're all using <laughs> 19 kW and they're all charging at night like we ask them to, this is going to substantially change our infrastructure. And we're going to have to to build to that. So yeah. we're going to have to be very attuned to that. So uh, wow. I have told most people that I think our grid can handle 
a lot of electric vehicles if they're charging off peak, like not during our peak times, which yeah. is in the middle of the night, or actually when solar has kicked in in that middle of the day, we actually have a lot of capacity that can handle car charging. But if everybody's doing the Ford F one fifty Lightning at nineteen and they're all charging at the same at time, ten o'clock, we are we are changing <laughs> our 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 load profile significantly, which yeah. will also change yeah. our wholesale cost of let, power. Let me ask you a question: Do you think we could ever see kind of the load demand switch? You know, like we you have high demand in the mornings and high demand, you know, when everybody gets off work or whatnot. Right. Could you actually see it where in the middle of the night? You know, we could have high demand. I mean, after hearing you talk about this and the different KW and all this stuff, and then the Ford, you know, the new Ford F-150, I mean, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 years out, could we see where we have high demand from 10 to 12 at night or 2 to 4 in the morning? Yeah, welcome to the smart grid, right? <laughs> we talked about that yeah. That using distributed resources like battery storage and and other renewables and sustainable methods and load shifting by using demand response devices like thermostat controls yeah. and, and water heater controls and and educating the public on how to stagger their charging are all going to have to be part of the equation to, to solve this or we will see shifts in when our demand happens. Yeah. And whole portfolios of how we deliver power are based on a curve that we know about. We know certain load profile. Mm -hmm. We know that the peak in the summertime is going to be between 5 and 7. So we plan accordingly. If that starts to shift dramatically, yeah. that's going to change up a lot of how we, yeah. we think about things. So it's yeah. it's definitely possible. And I think simultaneously, simultaneously we'll be yeah. solving that with um, distributed resources yeah. like battery storage and because if you could charge your if you could charge a residential battery and then use that battery to charge your f-150 yeah i mean that's a it's it's mathematically is a, a challenge um, to get to that kind of kw with a battery but you could almost do that and then you could charge whenever was most beneficial to the grid yeah i, I think it's exciting times in the next five to 10 years, what everything is going to look at, you know, that's why we have our podcast changing energy. I, sure. I'm excited to, to see the future. I really am. Yeah. Everything is literally changing I know. as we're making the podcast. Like, this is happening way quicker than what I expected. Yeah. So I know cool stuff. Awesome. Let's go to our main topic. All right, here we are on the Changing Energy podcast, and we are live from Wake Electric, and we are having a, an event where we are talking about folks that have electric vehicles, folks that are on a time-of-use rate, and folks that are on our, on our solar rate. And this is just a fellowship opportunity, and I have one of our favorite members. <laughs> His name is Julian Prosser, and I've probably known him for at least eight years or so as Wake Electric started to hearing about how electric vehicles and time of use was starting to play its role. So welcome to the podcast and welcome to the event. Thank you. It's a great event. The food was excellent and the companionship oh, has been wonderful. That's good. Yeah, I, I'm very impressed with the, the conversation that we're having. Uh, it's Some people are obviously fanatics and some people are here just to figure it out. And uh, where, where do you stand in that? Uh, well, I've been a an advocate and a user of EVs for about uh, 14 years. And you guys implemented the time of use rate, which I thought I was afraid of at start with, because 
you know, can I avoid using that power when those hours are a high peak, high price spot? But I'm very, very happy to be on that right now. Awesome. Yeah. So a time of use rate, uh, for those that don't know, is, is a variable rate that's based on a time of day. And as, as we've said, we definitely have on-peak and off-peak times where we buy wholesale power and deliver it to our consumers. And on those high-capacity moments of the day, we do charge a higher kilowatt-hour rate. But that's only two hours a day. And what has been your experience during those two hours? Well, the primary use, if I don't charge my vehicle, which I don't during those times, uh, is, is going to be the HVAC system. Right. So if, if I'm... Uh, I've got a smart thermostat, so I use my thermostat to help me manage the use of the the heating and cooling requirements. Right. So right. that's worked out fine. Right, that's so you fine. get almost a 20% discount for 22 hours a day. It's just those two hours that you're trying to right. avoid. Right. So you, you use the thermostat that's controlled. Right. And and how much does your temperature drift during those time of day? Do you, is it is it noticeable? It's It's not appreciable, really. Okay, I got you. Not and, appreciable. And then, uh, and you just avoid charging. Tell me about your electric vehicle, and and is this your first, or have you had multiple? Well, I was uh, very interested from the start. I, from my start, when I first became aware of it back in, I guess it was ten. Okay. And uh, I leased a vehicle uh, first, and that that was a Leaf Nissan Leaf. Right. And the range on that was under a hundred miles per charge. So, I was cautious with it but i was fortunate because i was working on installing electric uh, charging infrastructure for the city of raleigh when which is where i worked at the time so we had installed some charging stations in proximity to my workplace so i could come in and park and get a charge while i was working or if i had to go out during the day i could come back and peek it uh, top it off again so you were charging multiple times and making use of that 100 That's mile right. radius That's so right. but on a typical day though when you just drove to work and back how many miles if it was 23 miles one way to work and back so okay so you were covered great was, commuter vehicle was, it was great commuter vehicle great so commuter so vehicle. tell me now that you you brought it up about your your work with the city of raleigh to put charging station how do you feel we we stand right now with charging infrastructure around metropolitan areas, um, especially like Raleigh? Well, I think Raleigh uh, was did a pretty good job. We had great support from our management team and from the city council at the time. And we were able to install with some help from the, the uh, I can't remember the name of the bill, after the 08 financial debacle. It was, uh, it was an infrastructure bill that uh, we took advantage of and had help from, from a number of people getting that in place but we had a pretty good distribution of it i haven't kept up with it uh since then but i know that uh most of the other larger cities have taken action to install that type of infrastructure and businesses are adding that type of charging infrastructure to their uh, conventional fuel uh, charging station so and how do you feel about uh, a lot of these original charging stations that were put out there were no charge. You could charge for free? Well, we did initially. We charged for free, but now we have a charger. We have a, okay. a so credit card. So we're starting to move that over. That's right. Wake Electric just had put some charging stations out at a park, uh, a, a park here in Wake Forest. Mm-hmm. And uh, and there are four of them there, and, and they, they've been free. Right. And uh, we I looked at the, the usage just a couple days ago, and we've gotten up to... 2,200 kilowatt hours a month wow. out of these charging stations. Wow. 
And it is actually starting to make us think now. We're happy to provide it, of course. But I was more interested is when are they charging? Because, you know, the, the real key to these electric vehicles are that we charge during off-peak times. Right. Well, these are at a park. So when do people go to parks? They come and park their car after work, and they go for a walk around right. the park. And so we're seeing a bulk of our usage right in that five to five seven. To seven. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, this is a great way that we're going to have to start educating our members on what this means and, and how expensive that wholesale power can be at their, during that time. But well, that's, a, that's a great opportunity, I think. Education is a large part of both the infrastructure and the, the vehicles. And right. I think that, that application that you mentioned would be a great way to break people into the idea of peak rates between five and seven so you could have a free rate up until five o'clock but then have right. your charge only from five to seven that's true something like that or yeah. or the more radical and probably less popular would be put a disconnect switch in there and say sorry due to capacity mm -hmm. constraints we can't let you charge mm -hmm. for free mm -hmm. i think i like your better let's do it we'll just yep. you charge during that time uh, what are you driving today i'm driving a nissan leaf 2019 okay uh, it's i get a 250 plus mile charge if i have a full charge on it. Uh, I've carried it to uh, Morganton, North Carolina, and I'm testing my range on that thing now so I sure. can feel comfortable using it. I keep a, a conventional hybrid vehicle that's about 100 years old. Okay. <laughs> it's got 250 mile, thousand You're miles. You're making that it. manufacturer proud. <laughs> uh, so we've talked, we've said several times that the Tesla um, it charging network that they've built is phenomenal yep. but they've made it proprietary to tesla uh the charging for non-tesla vehicles i think we're all kind of hoping that very soon tesla opens those up and mm -hmm. for other other vehicles but non-tesla you found that the the network is is being built and supportive you know i i'm not as current on that as i should be as i once was right. but uh i have been you know I, my, my machine my tesla my, my tesla my Nissan Leaf gotcha. tells me where the charging stations are. Oh, good. So good. Uh, it's got a screen display. So if I'm going on a trip, I can find out where I need to stop and where I have an availability to stop. And you're going to continue to be an advocate for this technology. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I think you guys have done a great job by having Teslas that your employees can learn about. Sure. Take home, explain to their neighbors, and the customers, the, the uh, co-op members, should be very proud that you are taking the initiative to educate people about the value of the technology. I think that's an important part of the process. Well, we greatly appreciate you and your support, and uh, we've learned a lot from you too, so thank you. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. I enjoyed it today. We are here. This is uh, here with Tom Saunders. Tom, where do you live? What, what uh, town? 2700 Brass. Oh, you don't have to. <laughs> now everybody Freeport, knows. North Carolina. Okay. Okay. All right. I didn't know. I didn't want the home address, but that's fine because now we can ride by and see these solar panels you've well, got. You can't here. see the solar panels. Oh, tell me about your solar panel system. Well, um, the solar panels are on my detached garage and on the back side of my house. Okay. Which faces the correct solar angles. South. Uh, south. And okay. We we intentionally put the house there because we wanted to have you know in the wintertime the sun comes in, and the summertime the sun doesn't come in. We, right. We actually hired. Um, one of these engineers to tell us where where we needed to put the house okay. and <laughs> where you how, need to put how, the house yeah on the lot yeah we had a 45 acre lot to pick several different choices about of location okay 
And uh, I told him where I wanted it, and he laughed. <laughs> he says those are all the wrong angles. Okay. Those are the terrible solar angles. You'll you'll get western sun, and it'll be hot. That's not where you want to so be. So this is pretty amazing. He built a house with solar in mind. That's and right. When did you build this? What, what year? 20 years ago. Oh, 20 years ago you had these thoughts. Yeah, yeah. yeah amazing. We, but we had, uh, we had an engineer come in, and he said this is where the house needed to be. And this is the angle that it needs to be set on, and because we had selected the house to build at that point, and you know, the, it has a south, southern exposure, so in the winter time the sun pours in and, and helps helps warm the house. In the summertime, that's when the sun is high. It it, um, it 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 is shaded by the roof, and so the sun doesn't pour in, and it keeps it from getting as hot. Okay. Likewise, the sun pours in in the summertime, so it's an ideal spot for solar. Gotcha. So, so we were one of the, my concerns is you know you hear so much about in the energy companies and they're they're closing down coal plants and they want to get rid of nuclear and and electricity is not as reliable as it used to be. You mm -hmm. know, if you look at what's happened in in California and. Right. And, and I think the demand for electricity is going to continue to go up as we use more and more electricity for power and get away from from fossil fuels. Right. Um, and so, first of all, you know, re recognizing that the challenges that the energy industry has, you know, what are they going to do? And you know, I, I, I can be free from that worry by <laughs> having solar. Sure. And and my, my initial thought was, you know, well, we're kind of at the end of the line, power line. So when there's a big event like a hurricane or something like that, and of course, part of my property is in the swamp. So trees fall on the power lines and we lose power. And we've lost power for three or four days at a time oh. when we've had significant weather events. Sure. Um, and so we wanted to do something to assure that we had power. So we looked at, you know, getting a backup system. You know, and and I looked at that, and they told me what the pricing was, and then they came out and looked at the house, and they doubled the pricing, and I thought, <laughs> you know, let me look at let me look at another alternative, and the uh, the second alternative was solar, generating my own power, without carbon dioxide use, and then storing it in the batteries. Yeah. So, so tell me about your batteries. We have four Tesla batteries, um, and they 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 generate enough. They they. They generate enough power that I can run the house all day long on. Yeah, so we were talking about this earlier. A Tesla Powerwall stores about 13 kWh. Well, four of them obviously would be around 52 kWh. And uh, and so without looking at your typical usage, you know, it, that's that should be plenty to cut carry a house really for a full day. A full charge of the Tesla Powerwalls, four of them, covers your house. So you truly are probably covered for... A couple days in, in one of those situations. I do run out of power occasionally, depending upon the, what the weather is and, and how much sunlight we get. Um, I, I, I run a little short of power sometimes in the winter time when uh, the sun's less, not out as less many sunlight. hours. Yep. Okay. Um, but on, on a normal day, particularly in the spring and the fall, I'm 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 running my my house completely off the solar, and then I'm filling up the batteries, and by by about two o'clock in the afternoon, I'm I'm given Power to wake electric, right? So I think this is a uh, really good to think about because you know we've you and I've already talked today about uh, whether we're for solar or not, and I've I've been 
very blunt and saying what I'm really as a utility and electric provider to the masses, what I'm really interested in is dispatchable power, power that I can count on being there so I can dispatch it when the people need it. And the, the addition of batteries is really what makes that work. And that's what makes your system work. Well yeah, too. I, you can't be up if you don't have batteries. Right. Right. You know, uh, if you have solar, but you don't have any batteries at night, you have no power. Yeah. You have to buy power. And therefore, if my power line is down and I need to buy power, I don't get any power. Right. right. And, and, and I didn't want to experience that. And the batteries hopefully will prevent that from ever happening. So tell me about your electric vehicle. Oh, well, we had a, we had a BMW and okay. the engine went bad. It wasn't that old, but the engines are quite complex. The electric BMW. Did no, you, this was a, this a was normal gas powered gas powered BMW. BMW. Okay. So at the same time that we were putting in solar, this car went bad and okay. the battery, the, the engine needed to be replaced. Okay. So we said, no, it's not worth it. We're going to get rid of the car and we're going to go get another car. And since we're going to have solar, let's get a solar, uh, a solar, uh, an electric car. So we went and got a Tesla and we got the plug in and all that kind of stuff. And, and, um, I have not only not bought any gas to put in the Tesla, I have not bought any power to put in the Tesla. Okay. I have never gone to a Tesla charging station. I have always charged my Tesla from my house. From your solar. And from my solar. Battery. So not only do I have no gas bill, I don't get an electric bill for it either. Right. Well, that uh, I can right. see I can see the smile on your face as you say that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you know, and, and, and people ask the utility, all right, how could we be for that? And and I we are, are very for that. Now, in your case, you generate your own electricity and, and provide it, but you also don't charge on our peak, which is where our wholesale prices get to, get to be the highest. And uh, that's and, and you being able to dispatch that power when you need it, it kind of serves our purpose, especially for a not-for-profit member-owned utility. We're perfectly fine with that. Yeah. And, and it's interesting. I, the system that I have, I have an information system that tells me how much power I'm generating and where my batteries are. And so I, I look at that system every once in a while when I know I need to car, charge my car, and I wait until my my, my Tesla bat my my home batteries are full, and then just bef just as it's starting to sell it to the wake electric is when I go and plug in my electric car. There you go. Okay. And so I, I that way I sell the least amount of energy right to wake to wake electric as I can, and I keep my car charged, and and uh, don't don't challenge having to up the batteries for the and, house. And, and we love that. I'd like you to charge your car then to sell it back to me because I do have capacity that I can buy on the wholesale market. It's it's probably cheaper than you want to sell it for. Mm -hmm. And that's and that's why. So if I can buy it from the wholesale market, I'd rather you use yours than to try to sell it back to me at what I could buy it at a wholesale market. So it, it really does work well for our members. My members don't have to subsidize the, the technology either. You're using it for your for your own benefit, which is great. Now, a step forward that we could make is if I'm if I'm charging my car during your peak time, wouldn't it be nice that if I, I would instead postpone that charging, get paid more for the electricity that I'm generating you then, mm -hmm. and then charge it overnight when you have low demand? I think I so think there's, there's I think options. you're right on. I think you're right on, and I think it just gets you know one of the reasons we're here today is to talk about the different rates the different dynamic rates we're able to provide with smart meters me, um, reading your meter every single hour we can really get flexible with our rate plans 
And so we're at the very uh, cusp of, of starting those type of conversations that if it's cheaper for you, if it's cheaper for our members, for you to charge later and sell us back power during our peak, when I would normally have to go to outside markets right. to buy that power, if I could buy it from you at a discount for our members, it sure makes sense. It's a complicated rate, but I think we'll get there. It, you know, and I think that will happen over time as data management gets even for more sure. powerful. And it's, we, of course, we've made huge strides in that. Yes. I, I'm excited about that idea, and I've been thinking about it for a while, ever since, I think, the uh, Fukushima. Uh, right, the nuclear. Nuclear. Tidal oh, wave. Yeah, and uh, I guess it was 1909 uh, or something. It's been 10 or 15 years yeah. ago. But I understood, and this may be just word of mouth, uh, unbased on fact, but uh, I understood that they used some of the uh, vehicles, the electric vehicles in Japan to help uh, serve okay. the residential structures there in Japan that did not have power from Fukushima. I don't know if that's true or not, but. Well, that's that's with the Ford F one fifty Lightning. That's all yeah. they're marketing right now. And, and they have plug in. You can plug in your campsite and all that kind of stuff. Yes. So I think that vehicle to grid technology is really going to uh, going to going to run really soon. It's and that's where we start to think about homes and capacity in homes because the Ford F one fifty you know calls for a hundred amp uh, circuit you know, breaker, which we don't know how many two hundred amp homes have half their right. uh, half their circuit availability. So. Um, all this is to be developed, and we'll be with members like yourselves helping us through there. We'll get there. We'll get there. There's one other thing that uh, I would like to see. Yes, sir. Um, invented and created. I have two boxes. I have two power boxes where all my, my, my switches are to fuse, fuse boxes, if you will. And so what I have to manage is two. It's almost like two separate houses. Right. I have my upstairs goes off one box, my downstairs goes off the other box, and half of my half of my panels feed one box, and half of my panels feed the other box. Right. So I have two, essentially houses to manage, mm. with load, trying to make sure the load is the right and all that kind of stuff. So right. I would love to find a way, for example, right this instant, one of my systems has fully, fully charged all the batteries, and is selling power to you. And the other system is still charging the batteries. Interesting. Yeah. And and I've actually had a situation where one of my systems was buying power from you, and the other system was selling. Power. <laughs> it would be nice if you were providing your own power yeah, to the other system it would be for neat sure. If they, could, if they could if they could tie in together. But I think so. We'll see some a lot of solid state technology that, I mean, we're talking about going from copper winding and, and distribution transformers to a solid state device that basically takes a sine wave in one side, reconstructs the sine wave to a different voltage out of the next, and it's 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 all solid state. So we're, I think we're going to see technologies like that happen in, in homes like that as the technology develops. NC State, uh, they have a, a laboratory of NC State working on that sort of stuff right now. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I remember when I was in engineering school at the University of Virginia, <gasps> and we were and we were learning about this thing. You know I went to University of Virginia, right? No, I didn't. I graduated engineering at University of Virginia. Oh, you did? <laughs> I didn't graduate engineering. I graduated from in accounting. Okay. But um, they, they were... They go were, who's? They go who's. <laughs> they, were, they were studying this new system that um, they called it a heat pump, which it, in the summertime it would run one way, and in the wintertime it would run the other way. Okay, yeah. And, and, and since then, of course... 
all know that heat pumps are fairly widespread. Yes. But, you know, that's the difference that you know, 50 years makes. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tom, thank you for, uh, for joining us today. Uh, giving us a lot of insight in, into your system, and I think this this sharing of information is going to work well for us and our members. So, thank and the you. other the final thought is, and remember, not only does it make sense from a lot of different ways, but it's also socially the responsible thing to do. Got it. Right. Yeah. Just That's to have it. solar. That's it. Good deal. Thank you. Mm. All right, we are here at the event, and uh, we have saved quite a, a guest here for us. We have James Brigman. Hello, hello. Hey there, James. And so we were we were given test drives uh, during this event, and we were all eating lunch, and all of a sudden we heard tires squealing out in the parking lot, and all we could think was, this is a test drive gone bad. But I don't think it was. What was it, James? That was the power of many kilowatts going through my tires. <laughs> kilowatts going through your tires? Yes. <laughs> So you're pretty you're pretty proud of the of the uh, of the horsepower you get out of your Tesla. Yes, I love this car. I'll be driving it to work, and kids will rev on me. And <laughs> I'm sorry, it's just not going to happen for them today. Do you do you give them that confident look out of the corner of your eye? Oh no, I let them think they're going to win. <laughs> I, I'm an old guy. I'm going to let them think they, they're going to win. So I didn't even think that Tesla would allow you to squeal the tires. I thought it had that technology that prevented it, but you figured out a way to, to make sure you could do it. That was the sideways torque on the car. The car was actually moving sideways. Oh, you were tires. in a full I was in a slide. Turn. I was in a turn. I was drifting. <laughs> I was drifting like the kids. Now everybody wishes they had come out to our event and uh, could experience like the kids. Drifting like the kids. Well, you're, you're still a kid, James, And it's right? dual motor, so all four, all four tires were getting the power. <laughs> How long have you had an electric vehicle? I've had this car four years. Got it in, in, in 2018. And before that, I drove the tiniest little Honda Insight for 20 years. And I loved it. Okay, so you've had this car for four years. Have you seen any degradation of the battery? Some of these other questions that people might have about ownership of these vehicles. Do you think it's going to it's going to make it its, its projected lifespan? Or you... you you have any thoughts on I that? I have very high confidence in the battery, and I can give you some information from that first car I just mentioned, the Honda Insight. The battery in it was a nickel metal hydride. It lasted 15 years, and I was able to replace it myself for $1,500. Now, the Whoa. battery in the Tesla is a bigger one. It's more complicated. It's more expensive. But I fully expect to easily get the lifetime of the car out of the pack. That's great. That's great. And what is that lifetime? Well, most cars have a typical 10-year lifespan. I expect to drive this car 20 years. That's amazing. That's I drove amazing. the Honda 20 years. The battery lasted 15. I've got a brand-new hybrid in it that's about five years old. So I'm expecting at least 15 years out of this battery. Well, you're not going to get 15 years out of those tires. Sorry, but no. You are correct. <laughs> in fact, that car is four years old. It's the second set of tires. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> So tell me about maintenance. Uh, we hear that it's very low maintenance vehicle. Yes, so, yes. Uh, very low. I've I only have the cabin air filter replaced and the tires aligned and balanced every six months. Um, that's the only maintenance there is. I've not spent a dime on anything else. No filters. No fluids. No spark plugs. Nothing. Nothing. 
That's 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 really and and tell me about tell me about the price of uh, of power and, and how you use your time of use. You are on time of use rate as well, I am. right? I'm on the EV time of use rate. It takes a little getting used to, but once you're in the flow with it, it's easy, easy as pie. Okay, easy to do. Um, and what I saw happen is that when I converted from gasoline to electric, my net fuel cost went negative as compared to the pump. In other words, I not only spend less than I spent on gasoline, I went on time of use, and now I spend less on electricity than I did before. And, and that's the incentive. We want to give you that incentive to do that because charging on peak versus off peak would be devastating to, to the way that uh, our grid is yes. set up. So if we give you the right incentives that you actively try to help us with that, we yes. want you to benefit. Yes, sure. and, and my car charges on a timer. It's got that capability built in. I set it, I plug it in, I walk away, and it charges from about midnight to the latest 6 a.m. And I've got a, if I choose, I've got a full tank. I can go a week on that charge. It works great. Did you put a, a special circuit to your garage, or do you have a level two charger, or do you pretty much just charge off the 120? I have a level two charger in my garage. I had a 50 amp line installed by a licensed electrician to feed the the level two charger. It's about a, a 38 amp unit, so I get a strong level two charge at about eight kilowatts. Awesome. It easily charges the car overnight from zero, which is rarely the case. I rarely run it to zero. I'll let it get down to about, I think the lowest I've ever gotten is 43 miles left. And at that point, the car is screaming at you. It doesn't let you go to zero. Okay. Yeah. So I think 8KW, you know, most uh, engineers in our industry start to shiver when they hear that you're pulling 8KW, but the fact that you're pulling 8KW in the middle of the night right, um, should offset that significantly. Right. If it's summertime, I I don't have a th hardly a thing running. <laughs> okay. <laughs> How do you keep yourself cool? Uh uh, six inches of insulation in the exterior walls. <laughs> okay. The house was specifically designed for this climate. So my electric bill this month was $124. With an electric vehicle? In an all-electric car running air conditioning. Hi, this is Don jumping in. At the end of that event and end of that interview with Mr. Brigman, we actually had something go on with the audio file so we, unfortunately we didn't catch the end of that conversation but he continued to be entertaining and actually just want to take this time to thank mr prosser mr saunders and mr brigman for participating in those interviews they were delightful at a delightful event and we're just uh, thrilled we were able to grab that for the podcast <sighs> refreshing <laughs> what we got sean yeah, we got we got one is from Angelina. She asked, "Why don't we put all of our lines on the ground?" That's an excellent question. I get it all the time. <laughs> Just yeah. a little history: Wake Electric, being a rural electric cooperative, probably thirty years ago, maybe thirty-five years ago, we had almost zero underground. Mm. Now, fast forward to twenty twenty-two, we have over half. We have just surpassed the amount of overhead line with underground. Isn't that oh, wait, really? true? Yeah, yeah. We're about um, a little over 46% of underground line. That's not over half. <laughs> I was to say, that's not over half. Hold on. All right, my fault. <laughs> Kirk's my fact checker. Well, of course, it is May. This was last updated well, December, so 
And as fast as we're growing, I, I would say we're probably right around 50%. <laughs> okay. So close to half. We're close to half. Right. I'm glad we got our Sorry. fact checked out during the episode. That's good. Sorry. Um, but it has obviously grown a lot. And why? It's because we are doing subdivisions. And subdivisions are are much, much easier to put underground in because it is usually open space, not developed. We're not digging up anybody's yard. We're not digging up anybody's road. It's a brand new piece of land that is being developed it's really easy to put the the um the underground in so how so how hard would it be to try to change some of these overhead lines to underground lines i'd be very expensive mm. you know you're you're gonna have, think about the coordination of a neighborhood saying all right all your now they'd be very excited because aesthetically underground is great well yeah you go from having three phase lines going down your road oh. overhead blocking the view and in in amidst the trees, be less outages from the squirrels. Do I? <laughs> and you and you switch that to, you know, just a box every now and then on a corner. Those mm-hmm. are junction boxes, and those mm-hmm. are, are places where we uh, we hook it up uh, pad mounted transformers on the side of the house. But they did a study, and we we found a great YouTube video. Sean Sean found a great YouTube video. Uh, it's not very long, seven to ten minutes. Yeah, I think it was like twelve minutes at okay. most, and. Uh, it goes through this answer perfectly, and it's a North Carolina yeah. Utilities Commission study. So they estimate that it would take $41 billion in 25 years to convert existing overhead lines in North Carolina to all underground. And if we did that, electricity rates would double. Now, mm. in most focus groups, everybody says, yes, I'd rather have I'd rather have Cheaper. the underground. Yeah. I'd rather have the underground, but not pay double, not double to yeah, get right, it. So I'm okay with it being overhead. And so the the reason why it's so hard is a hey, you've got to. It's a different kind of cable. Overhead, you see bare conductor. Underground, it's insulated conductor. It's much more expensive. Just conductor by the foot. It's much more expensive. And then you have the, the trench it, put it underground. Mm-hmm. Put the pad mounts, put put the uh, pads out there, put the junction boxes, and it's just expensive to, to do that. About five hundred thousand to five million dollars per mile to put underground per in. Mile. Um, and remember, we have over thirty five hundred miles of line. Well, yeah, I right. mean, you know, most yeah. half's already underground, but you know. And uh, and so we we kind of think that yes, the it's much more reliable, and I will agree when you're talking about storms. Ice, hurricanes, wildlife, wind, all of that affects overhead line. That's for sure. And we don't have those issues with underground. But that doesn't mean we're completely free of of outages and underground um, services because lightning can still hit transformers, pad mount transformers. That is true. And a big one, tree roots. Tree roots can grow into the wire and wrap around the wire and actually decay the the insulation around the wire quicker. Earthquakes are a disaster. So if we, we're not prone to earthquakes here in North Carolina, but there are other places they are prone to it, and yeah. and it breaks wires. And when you lose power for that reason on an underground, it's not apparent where the location where the problem happened. So you're saying that basically, like if an outage happens with underground wires, it takes a longer time to yes. get that. It happens less frequently, but because you could have a windstorm blow a tree yeah. over, you can ride right there and see the Patrol tree. The line. Let's just get that tree yeah. off, and we're good. Yeah. When we have something break underground, we have to find it. 
and we find it with tools and mechanisms and still it's hard, then you've got to make the decision, do I dig it up and splice it or do I rerun the whole wire? You have that choice. And so uh, it's going to be really interesting. And, you know, shovels don't help. <laughs> shovels and people that dig in. So, again, we uh, ask everybody that goes to dig, dial that uh, 811 number and, and uh, call before you dig. Here's the other big one. Overhead conductor, I've told you all we have 100-year-old infrastructure out there. Yeah. Overhead conductor can last for for 80 years. Easy. Maybe not easy, but it can yeah. last 80 years. Underground installations are rated to last about 30 to 40 years. So, yeah, I, I, Wait, that so blew after, my mind. After 30 or 40 years, what do you mean? The insulation starts breaking down on these, and we start, and the conductor starts, we call it treeing. It's when the rubber insulation around that starts because to go Because the soil? wiring has to be replaced? And the wiring has to be uh, updated and replaced. They're oh, looking at no. technologies. Uh, I was saying uh, off the... Uh, off the air a few minutes ago that there are companies starting to make injection gels that you can inject into existing installations to ex- to extend the life of cable. And uh, Wake Electric is in that position where we're not too far away from reaching some of these levels. So while we've enjoyed the the convenience of underground cable, we will have to keep maintaining that. Oh. Um, and it'll be a major maintenance budget over the next uh over the next 50 years, probably, as we as we continue to maintain these lines. But so wow. in summary, overhead, cheaper to build than underground. It's But it's also more susceptible to weather and automobile accidents and all those sort of things can cause problems with overhead. But underground is more reliable because less can affect it. But when it does break, it's a lot harder to fix, and it's much more expensive. So that's uh, hopefully that answers the question. I, I imagine it's a case-by-case basis, and the most yeah. likely place to put underground is new development because it's easy and it's the cheapest to put it in new development than it is anything uh, existing. So. It's still hard sense. to believe that overhead lasts longer. Oh, yeah. You, know, you would think the soil would protect <laughs> you know, the lines. Soil decays things. Yeah, well... I mean, but is the line's got a cover on it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, that wraps up episode five, guys. Nice job. We had uh, a lot of good content. We mm-hmm. covered the Ford F-150 and some of its specs. We had a wonderful event at Wake Electric. Oh, it was great. It was great. The weather was beautiful. It was so awesome to see the, the members engage with each other, you know, talking about solar, electric vehicles, time of use rates. And uh, the Tesla test drives were a big hit. You know, it was hard just to try to keep them all under 110. But, hey, you know, (laughs) everybody got to feel that G-force when you hit the go pedal. So uh, it was really, really an awesome event. We had a good time and uh, got some, as you all know, some good interviews. Excellent. Uh, Yep. Great question from Angelina. With that, tell us how people can find us, Kirk. You can reach us by calling us at 919-863-6331 or emailing us at changing energy at wemc.com we also ask if you'd please follow us on twitter and that's at changing capital nrg facebook changing capital nrg we're on spotify and itunes please leave us some feedback and send us some questions we'd love to hear from you yeah more voicemails that's right we want to play them yeah we want to hear from our that's always nice okay We'll see you soon.
Thank you for tuning in to the Changing Energy Podcast with your hosts, Don, Kirk, and Sean, with special shouts out going to Ira, Deanna, and Deshaun. Uh, thank you for enjoying your time with us. And as always, keep the energy going. You know what to do. What? Oh, I keep getting Use your brain. It's there for a reason.